Good morning. It is a joy and an honor to be with my McLean family this morning. Today, according to the Baptist General Association of Virginia, is Religious Liberty Sunday, which makes it an especially appropriate day for me to share about my journey to ordination. Since childhood, jigsaw puzzles have been a relaxing hobby for me. I love opening the box, dumping out the pieces, and then working to bring order to the chaos. In fact, the last puzzle I put together was back over the Christmas holidays, and it was a Winnie the Pooh puzzle. Most of the pieces were splashed with various bits of color, but it was hard to look at the individual pieces and see what they were or what they might become. I, I couldn't always tell was the green on this piece part of the leaves of a tree or part of the blades of the grass? Uh, was the blue part of the sky or part of the stream in the picture? But other pieces, like Piglet's face or Eeyore's tail, were easily identifiable. A few pieces just didn't seem to belong anywhere until I flipped them around and then I could easily see where they belonged. In many ways, a jigsaw puzzle is an, an apt analogy for our lives. All of our experiences, relationships, successes, and failures make up pieces in our own puzzles. My puzzle includes a call to non-traditional pastoral ministry. And since the McLean family plays a large role in placing this piece, I wanted to share about my journey. Later this month, when I meet with the Ordination Council, they will probably ask me a bunch of questions about different pieces of my spiritual journey, some of which you all might also be interested in. One question the Council might want to start with is, why are you a Baptist? Now, I didn't go to seminary until my mid-30s, and until this time, if you had asked me this question, my answer would have been, because my parents are, it's the church I was raised in, or it's what I know. But all that changed in seminary when I read a short book by Dr. Walter Sheridan, The Four Fragile Freedoms, a book, by the way, that I seriously think all Baptists should read and consider. In it, Dr. Sheridan describes how Baptists have uniquely pieced together four freedoms to create our distinctive Baptist identity. The first freedom is Bible freedom, or the belief that the Bible is foundational to us as individuals and congregations, and that everyone should be able to read and interpret it. The second freedom is church freedom, sometimes called the autonomy of the local church. And this freedom uh, places the power and authority to determine membership, leadership, doctrine, and practice in the hands of each individual congregation. A third freedom is religious freedom, which is the belief that we should all worship or not as we feel led. And a final freedom that Dr. Sheridan includes is soul freedom, or the belief that we are each accountable to God individually. This is sometimes described as the priesthood of all believers. It is because of these four freedoms that I remain a Baptist in adulthood. Another piece of my spiritual journey that the council might ask me about is to describe my ministerial calling. Now, I was indeed raised in Baptist churches. If the doors were open, someone in my family was up there. I was baptized as a first grader, 
went on my first out-of-town mission trip as a seventh grader, and as a youth, volunteered in various church ministries, including being a vacation Bible school teacher, children's camp counselor, and basketball coach at our recreation ministry. As a high school senior, I dedicated my life to full-time Christian service. So since high school, I've known that God wanted me to, that God had called me, rather, to use my giftedness to further his kingdom. At the time, I thought it was going to be as a medical missionary. However, despite my love for the learning process, I was miserable in my pre-med classes. Since I was confident that God had called me into medical missions, this was not only academically frustrating, but was a crisis of faith. I felt like I had already failed at God's calling on my life, and I had yet to make it to grad school, much less a place of service. It was during this time when I felt like I had no purpose or direction that God kept leading me back to a verse that I had memorized as a child, Micah 6.8. And what does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with thy God? After much prayer and discernment, God revealed a calling for seminary and for law school. This direction change was confusing because I was called into missions. You see, my home church in Tennessee was very active, and still is, in various domestic and international ministries. And they were frequently putting out calls for volunteers to join opportunities. These calls included for doctors and other medical personnel, builders and contractors, even people who could pray and walk simultaneously. But never in all of my years at the church had I ever heard a call for attorneys to meet a specific ministry need. <laughs> but just like a puzzle piece sometimes needs to be flipped in order to be placed, God revealed that if he has called us as his people to do justice, then some of us should be trained in the subject. <laughs> Unlike most of my seminary classmates, I did not feel a call to serve in a traditional church or mission setting. In fact, at the time, I wasn't sure that I would enter professional ministry in any meaningful capacity. I knew God had called me to seminary, but I thought that perhaps I would continue working as a government attorney and just be a really good small group leader or other lay leader in my local church. While researching a paper for class, I was able to meet Susie Painter, who was currently the executive coordinator of the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. At the time, she was in charge of advocacy and public policy for Texas Baptist. Over several conversations and an eventual mentorship, she expanded my vision of uh, professional ministry to vocations beyond the four walls of the church, including how my legal training could be an asset. There are some on my ordination council who might be interested to know in how being the associate general counsel at the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty fits into my calling. My calling, at least for the foreseeable future, is indeed to work to defend and extend religious liberty for all through the Baptist Joint Committee, which we commonly refer to as the BJC. At the BJC, we stand on the shoulders of 400 years of Baptist pastors, 
and lay leaders who drew upon their theological beliefs and experiences as a persecuted religious minority group to fight for religious freedom for everyone. Unlike the secular organizations doing good work alongside us, the BJC is ministry precisely because of this Baptist heritage and our ongoing connection to Baptist congregations. In addition to the practical ways that our constitutional system protects religious freedom for everyone, religious freedom is a core Baptist doctrine. In short, we believe that faith must be voluntary. If someone can't say no to religion, then any yes they give is meaningless. For me personally, this theological belief helps to keep me humble and honest. Between myself and other Christians, it is an acknowledgement that no human has all of the answers or the perfect single interpretation. Between myself and non-Christians, it is a reminder that God is in control. The existence of other faiths doesn't diminish God's authority or power. I am honored that I get to explain to congressional staffers and Supreme Court justices why Baptists support the separation of church and state. But I'm also honored when churches and colleges and other community groups turn to the BJC to learn about theological and secular foundations of religious freedom. Helping pastors navigate church-state issues and defending religious freedom for everyone is truly the ministry that God has called me for. A fourth question the Ordination Council might be interested in asking is what has God taught you through ministry? And so for that question, I would have to go back to my first ministerial placement, which was as an attorney at the Family Abuse Center in Waco, Texas. Now, as a secular nonprofit organization, this is admittedly an odd way to characterize my work there. After all, I couldn't evangelize to the clients or seek to proactively change their religious beliefs. But after spending almost two years at the shelter, I can confidently say that almost every day I engaged in pastoral ministry. Every client at our shelter was in crisis. They had left an abusive relationship and their homes were not a safe place to return to. Our clients came from all ethnic, socioeconomic, and religious backgrounds. At times, children outnumbered the adults at the shelter. It is through this work that God taught me many lessons about the theology and the Christian life. One of my personal blessings has been a loving, safe, and stable family. The children at the shelter couldn't say the same thing. Their resilience and willingness to trust us staff members taught me more about courage, hope, and second chances than any theology lecture. Many of our adults had fled unsafe homes and literally had no idea what the next step would be. Their ability to envision that life for them, or more often life for their children, might be better, and their work to turn that dream into a reality taught me about facing the unknown and overcoming obstacles. 
Working with abuse victims also gave me a new lens in my personal Bible study. Too often, we casually portray God in such a way as to be analogous to an abusive spouse, loving but angry with my mistakes. I had never thought too deeply about, about such statements prior to working with those who assured me that their spouse or their parent really did love them, and if only they could have dinner ready on time or have a cleaner room, then they wouldn't have to be punished. Unintentionally portraying God as an abusive spouse or parent serves no higher theological purpose. The shelter was a place of profound preparation for me, and I am now much more sensitive to how a pastor's words and teachings might be used to justify the often silent epidemic of family violence in our churches and in our communities. Finally, a question that I hope the council will ask is why did I choose McLean Baptist? When I moved to the area in December 2014, McLean was on my list of churches to visit. One of my best friends in seminary grew up in Springfield and her church on occasion did activities with McLean. She had fond memories of those events and told me of McLean's commitment to missions and thought this might be a good place for me. It was your reputation and cooperation with other Baptist congregations was the reason that I first visited. In my lifetime, I've had calls to visit a number of Baptist churches for different reasons. But my first visit here was unique. The usher who greeted me at the door asked if I would like to sit with a member of the congregation. I told him I would, and I believe he sat me with Carolyn Howell. And she introduced me to several church members that morning. I could see out of the corner of my eye that she was making notes in her bulletin, but I didn't think anything of it at the time. When the service concluded, she handed me her bulletin and showed me her notes. For the people listed in it, those who had prayed or read scripture or had some form of an announcement, she had written a brief description of what they were wearing so that I might remember them. Now, I am horrible at learning names, so I can't say that the gesture was 100% successful. But I was deeply touched at the thoughtfulness and the idea that, one, she wanted me to come back, and two, she wanted me to be more included on my next visit. Your hospitality to strangers kept me coming back. And like many of you, one of my first friends in this congregation was Beth Eccles. Beth actually worked at the BJC in the late 60s and early 70s, so we had an immediate point of common interest. I have enjoyed hearing her firsthand accounts of so many Baptist legends from both the Baptist Joint Committee and the Baptist World Alliance, and also um, her experiences as an early female leader in modern Baptist life making a genuine connection with Beth, and seeing the congregation's commitment to each other and to missions solidified my decision to join into this family. Among other characteristics, ordination is a reminder that our God keeps his promises and is continuing to work through his church. 
God is with us and expects all of us to be his witnesses in our own Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Because of church freedom, McLean gets to ordain those whom it feels God has called and gifted for ministry to the church. And whether or not you are on my ordination council, because of soul freedom, you have an active role to play in my ordination. If you have questions about my calling, just ask. But also hold me accountable and pray for me. Invite me into your areas of service and tell me about how you think God is moving in Northern Virginia. And finally, engage with my ministry at the Baptist Joint Committee. You can read our magazine and visit our website or even follow us on social media. Ordination is a journey that I am excited that we get to prayerfully undertake together.